You're listening to The Originators, a 2FM collective podcast. Hi, I'm Rick O'Shea, and welcome to this episode of RTE 2FM's podcast series, Originators. Throughout the series, I'll be talking to Irish under-35s from sometimes wildly varying fields who've found success and finding out how it happened and who they really are. Harry McCann is an entrepreneur starting his first business three years ago. He's the founder and director of the Digital Youth Council and editor of TrendsterPress.com. He's also currently studying for his leaving cert. This episode was recorded in the Irish Writers' Centre and when I met Harry there, he was a little out of breath. I asked him why. Um, Me and my wisdom, I decided that instead of getting a bus or public transport or learning to drive, I would walk from the Department of Taoiseach all the way to Parnell Square in what can only be described as a storm. Well, technically is a storm. Mm -hmm. So it rained, it was windy, it is very cold and I kind of half-jogged, walked... Oh, it doesn't. Are you allowed to tell us why you were in the Taoiseach's office? Um, I'm the third candidate for Fine Gael, um, Leo Varadkar. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. yeah. So basically I'm the... They're going the really young yeah. route. Yeah, they're going the really young route. The guy who has no experience <laughs> at all. Um, no data protection form with the Minister for Data Protection, Dara Murphy. So I sit on there and talk about data protection with all of the businesses we give our data to. Yeah. Um, Tell me, you and I met uh, for the very first time, despite the fact that we've kind of, you know, we, we know each other online. We, we've met for the very first time in Twitter uh, on Safer Internet Day. Yeah. Um, you were mitching from school that day, weren't you? Not technically. And if my mom is listening to this, I really do apologize. In fairness, it's dad's fault. Um, <laughs> I did get permission from dad. It's dad's fault? <laughs> yeah, like 25 years of marriage. I'm sure you'll get through this one. But uh, yeah, it was dad's fault. I asked for permission. He said, don't tell your mom. Okay. And... Um, yeah, so once again, I apologise and hopefully the marriage will make it through this. And, and you took him, literally, you just didn't tell her that you were... Did she not know that you were on the internet that day? No, you see, I didn't really think of that part. Um, I, I, I kind of think my parents don't really know how that works, the whole internet thing. Okay. Yeah, like having someone who's kind of on the computer the whole time, I think it's just, as long as he's not killing anybody or doing anything illegal, we're happy. Mm. But... Um, yeah, like I didn't, I like I sent my dad a really long text because like getting out of leaving cert is kind of a tough thing to do. So I was like, such and such need to go here. I uh, promise I'll come back and study a lot extra. And he just comes back, okay. So I think he's kind of come to the stage where he knows if he says very little, then he can get in very little trouble afterwards if my mom finds out. Yeah. But uh, yeah, she, she hasn't found out so far. I'll probably tell her after the leaving cert. Like, but. Um, tell me, why start your first business at 15? At an age when certainly I know I was obsessing over listening to music late at night in headphones, you know, in the darkness of my house and playing computer games. Uh, good question. I, I don't know. It's always something that's kind of been asked and I kind of never have a reason why. Um, I suppose I've always loved, loved the idea of, you know, those big entrepreneurs, the kind of Steve Jobs guys, all those kind of people who have kind of done amazing things. And, you know, they walk down the street and people go, oh my God, he put this in my pocket or this is the reason I do this. And I suppose always had that kind of eagerness to do something that people go, wow. And I think when I was 15, probably thought, sure, look, why not? Um, I was big into soccer, played a lot of soccer. And uh, I was running down the wing one day and I tore my cruciate ligament in my right knee. And... Devastated, out of sports for nine months, and I thought, why not try do that amazing thing now? Why, tr- why not try to kind of do something that I wanted to do but never really had the opportunity to do? So, 
So yeah. the, 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 the flip side of that then is that you're implying that if you hadn't torn your cruciate that day, that maybe that wouldn't have happened. And ultimately you and I wouldn't be here having this conversation. Yeah, I suppose I probably wouldn't have. And I kind of, I've done that a thousand times a day in the last three or four years. We've kind of like backing on. If I hadn't torn my cruciate ligament, I wouldn't be. And I tend to always do it when I'm on a plane somewhere because you're kind of going somewhere amazing and you're like, holy mother of God, if I'm on this plane because I tore my cruciate ligament and I went to the doctor and the doctor said you're out for nine months and so on, so on, and it's led me here. It's a sliding doors moment. That's what they call it. It's that moment when, you know, you, you ended up on the other side as opposed to being on one, on one side of the door. Yeah, it's really like God closed one door and he opened a really big, big, big door. Yeah. I heard you uh, say that you're a Liverpool fan, but not by choice. Why? Yeah. Um, be careful because I'm a lifelong Liverpool fan so just no, choose look, your words li- really lifelong carefully. as well like I've yeah, yeah. six Liverpool jerseys um, and be- believe it or not as you walk down my stairs we have a piece of wall just above where the stairs is so as you're walking down we have this is Anfield sign so we tap it on the way down nice so it's it's a very Liverpool household nice. very very big um, but I wouldn't say not by choice it was more that my, my dad and my brothers were both Liverpool fans and that United fans are not tolerated in our house Neither are Chelsea. Uh, we laugh at Tottenham and Arsenal, but like I live and breathe Liverpool, and I'm the person who kind of goes, it's, "It's our season. It's our season." Like every Liverpool fan. Tell me, because um, there will be people wanting to know why on earth am I listening to this 18-year-old kid talk to you? What, what's the point in all this? Explain to me, you know, in in 25 words or less, the elevator pitch of the Digital Youth Council, and now of the new G20 Youth Organisation that you're setting up. Right. So we start with the Digital Youth Council. Um, Bringing amazing young people who are very talented together to give young people a voice in science, technology, engineering and maths in Ireland and around the world. And then for G20 youth, I suppose it's kind of the idea of the voice of a generation. It's the idea that we're not going to stand by and watch as Donald Trump does as he likes and pay for it in years to come, like most of my generation will do if we don't do something. So... Yeah, I suppose that's the two elevator pitches. And particularly on, on elements like I would presume climate change, it is going to affect obviously your generation far, far greater than it will affect either my generation or, or my parents' generation. Yeah, like climate change in the moment affects how much golf Donald Trump can pay, but it's probably going to end up being the decision whether I live till 100 or I live till I'm 60 or 70 or my kids, if I ever will have kids, will live. Because, you know, it's, it's, it's a serious thing. It's not something they make up. I don't think people understand this. Like it's it's almost like it's imaginary idea. You know, we tell kids things just so they'll believe in it. Like you know, I know I, I think people's greatest problem is, and I have friends who've said this to me that they go, science will sort it out. No, but that someone's going to come up with a magic bullet somewhere, or there'll be a magic spray they put in the atmosphere, and we'll all be fine in the end, like it's a Hollywood movie. Yeah, like I always I do this thing. It's like I can't remember what TV show it was from, but it's like it's it's future Harry's problem. So like I don't have to do it now. That's future Harry's thing. But it's, it's nobody's future person's problem. It's it's our problem right now. And the problem is that we have the opportunity. We know what's wrong. It's like, we're not doing anything. It's just it's just stupidity. It's it's, it's like watching a something disastrous happens and just stand there doing nothing. I don't know how anybody can do it. But. So with a fire like that inside you, is the logical continuation point of this politics ultimately? Because that's where you'll have the ability to have some say in these things. Or is it somewhere else? I'd love to think politics. I would. I do think I'd do a very good job in politics. I don't know. I just always think I've always thought of myself as somebody who could do a good job. Now, I don't know if something happens along the way between I want to do a good job and, oh my God, 
I don't think I can live past this scandal. But um, yeah, I'd, I'd always just thought like it's always, I suppose over the last few years in particular, everybody who sees me is like, oh, you'll be president someday. And I was like, I, do you know what? I actually wouldn't mind. It actually wouldn't bother me. I think I'd do a good job. Now, obviously the Irish president, best man ever, Michael Higgins, doesn't have very much of an effect on what happens in the country. But I'd like to think I might uh, sit somewhere in the front table before that as... I'm not going to say T-Shock. That sets my <laughs> expectations way too high. But may, maybe a minister or TD or Shannon, maybe. I don't know. Still in my entire life, Michael D. Higgins, uh, the president, the only person I've ever voted for who won, ever, really? in my entire adult life. I've never even voted. It is the most painful thing. Especially especially when you know for a while that you are you have enough knowledge to vote. And like I've, over the last four years, I've been in and out of, meeting politicians, I work a lot with politicians. So a lot of the politicians are up for election and parties wise, I, I'd know, and I, I'd know a good few people, local TDs, I work with them on a day-to-day -day basis. But yet I'm not old enough to vote for them. I'm not old enough to vote. And it's, it's really frustrating. And I suppose I'd, I'd hate, I've never been in a situation where there's been a vote and I just turned 18. There wasn't a vote just before I turned 18, so it was okay. But um, yeah, I, I think I'll get the vote sooner than I that expected. That could happen, yeah. But yeah, it's frustrating, I think, for me. But a lot of people don't really care. But I think some do. Okay, you've, you've met, uh, as you said, a, a huge number of people already at your age that yeah. people would not normally get to meet. And some of them are politicians, some of them are connected into technology, some of them are. Who's the, the most impressive person that you've met so far? Uh, Niall Rogers, I suppose. Not your average person, but yeah... Obviously, for anybody who's a music fan. Like, how did that happen, first of all? How do, how do you end up meeting Nile Rogers? Yeah. Um, I was at home one evening, and I got an email from a friend of mine in New York who works for a project called America's Amazing Teens. And they go, we want to nominate you to go to New York. Um, Nile Rogers runs a foundation called We Are Family, and he wants to fly a bunch of amazing teenagers from all across the world to New York for a week. So, obviously, I go... Not a problem. Yeah, I suppose so. Mm -hmm. I just have to ask my mom first. <laughs> That one she did know I was missing for a week, by the way. Uh, and they were like, yeah, sure, why not? A few months later, I found myself on a plane to JFK Airport um, to meet Nile Rogers, which I, at the time, I must admit, and I don't know if he'll hear this, and if he does, I'm sorry, I didn't have a clue who he was. Hadn't a clue. I, not even when his foundation was named We Are Family? No, that didn't not off not even then. Oh, okay, the right. only time that I copped that was when we were actually singing We Are Family on stage in New York with Nile Rogers. <laughs> It's yeah. Once again, another really good. crazy story. I like but that. I did genuinely sing "We Are Family" actually four times now. I've sang "We Are Family" with Nile Rogers on stage uh, once in New York and once three times in London. But uh, yeah, I suppose that was when I copped that actually he he was and yeah when he was a big deal. And the second time probably was when we were sitting down watching a movie and he was texting Lady Gaga and he's like sitting next to you. Yeah, he's texting Lady like Gaga. we're just watching a movie and the most famous man I've ever met just sits beside you and starts taking your popcorn and texting Lady Gaga. Did you not go, hang on, no, put the phone away. Seriously, we're trying to watch the movie here. Yeah. There's a glare coming from your screen. I don't I don't think you could. Like, I really, like, honestly, if he had stood up in front of the screen and you couldn't see the movie, I don't think anybody would have said anything to him. But, like, honestly, the nicest man you'll ever meet, the most generous man you'll ever meet, and, oh, like, it, you know, I met him for two or three days. We were a week in New York, and after two or three days, you were past the whole idea of shaking hands. It was more like, come here, we'll give you a hug. Like proper, we are family kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah. But uh, yeah, amazing man. So following on from that then, what sort of music do you like to listen to? I'm the kind of person who likes chilled music, acoustic maybe. I, I'm Like 
if I'm going on Spotify, I, my favorite playlist is the Great British Be- Breakfast, which shows I'm not the kind of guy who's uh, I don't know if I've ever clicked into that one. Okay. No, Great British Breakfast, definitely worth a listen to. A lot of a mix of a lot of different music, so kind of '90s, kind of early 2000s, very chilled, mellow, nothing too major. You're not kind of bopping up and down, mm-hmm. and you're not kind of falling asleep. It's very cool, easy going stuff. But yeah, music wise, I kind of depends the mood. If I'm out in a nightclub, I don't want to listen to, you know. Rock the boat, unless it's, unless it's no the end of the night. Ever once no, no, to rock the boat. national anthem, but uh, ever. Yeah, I suppose I'm, I'm easy going in music wise. Um, answer this question completely honestly to me, because you are the youngest person we will be talking to in this series, and given the job that I do for a living and I've always done for a living, does radio mean anything to you? Is it is it part of the radar of you think your average eighteen year old these days? One hundred percent, honestly. Right, I'll start out with the first thing. I wanted to work in radio. I did. And I've always thought about working in radio. And without causing insult to anybody, the only thing that ever stopped me was I thought, by the time I get into radio and make a name for myself, will people still listen to radio? My dad always said, you have the, you have the face for radio. No. Yeah, the, the really, Harsh. yeah, the nasty comment. Uh, he's a very sarcastic man. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he always did face for radio, but I always thought it'd be a cool thing to do. And a lot of people still do listen to radio. My parents in particular, my dad is very specific. That's about not the question. You, you're but evading people, the question no, but young politically. People, I don't think young people listen to the radio because I think the majority of people who listen to the radio listen to it in the car. And the majority of young people obviously do not drive. But that's the only reason why. I don't think, like, I think the days where the radio is on in the house, it's kind of gone. You're either watching the TV or not even TV anymore, Netflix, or you're listening to some music, you're listening to Spotify, whatever it might be. But I, I don't, I suppose as long as there'd be cars, I think there'll always be radio, which is, you know, everyone, like I don't know anybody, like my brother got a new car the other day and it didn't have a, a CD player. Yeah. No CD, brand new car. Yeah, yeah. An expensive car and it's no CD player. So it kind of says you either have the option to listen to the radio or you can plug in your rocks to your phone. For a lot of the people I've spoken to in, in this series, um, I talk to them about their relationship with their phone because for everybody who's below a certain age, it's the most important physical item in their life pretty mm-hmm. much. What's your relationship with your phone? It's a complicated one. Yeah. Uh, it's probably my closest relationship at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have a girlfriend, by the way, so it's, it's not being put ahead of a girlfriend. I always have my phone. You can be guaranteed 100% I have my phone and it has a charge. And if it doesn't have a charge, I'm dead. It. Like if, if you can't get me on my phone and it's out of battery, you'll probably just assume I'm dead because it's always there. I always have credit. I always have internet. And if I haven't tweeted in the last hour, once again, I'm probably dead. Um, in school, always have it. I use every kind of social media under the sun, even the ones people don't use. So I just basically talk to myself. I read my news on my phone. Yeah, you have a LinkedIn account and you're 18. Yes, yeah. it's sad. I know it'll be useful in the future. It's, yeah, it's sad. Like we talk about it in business and it's like some people use uh, LinkedIn. It's like anyone ever heard of LinkedIn? And I was like, I don't have a LinkedIn profile. Kind of real awkwardly. It's 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 amazing, but uh, good for connections. It's, yeah. good, it's good for business. But yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I suppose my relationship is just constant. I always have it. Even in bed, I sleep with it. Arm stretch away always plugged in and it's mostly always on loud as well so very rare that you wouldn't get me on my phone so so in terms of influences who's influenced you the most i suppose that's down to three people uh being really awkward here um i suppose the first person has to be my dad 
the second would have to be, uh, I usually say president, but Barack Obama. And the third person would be Mark Zuckerberg. Um, I suppose if I had to start my dad. Always pushes me. Um, I suppose I probably wouldn't be doing what I'm doing without my dad. Always very encouraging. Lots of nuggets of advice that are questionable at times, but uh, definitely pushes me to do more. Um, Barack Obama, all around cool guy. Uh, even looks better now because of the current political situation in the US. And the whole kite surfing thing as well. That yeah, like away. who hangs out with Richard Branson on their yeah. summer holidays? And, and then I suppose the, the third person, Mark Zuckerberg, is because anybody who's like me, who's that nerdy, who's spent that time building a business in their bedroom, has dreamed of being in the situation that Mark Zuckerberg is in, where he has more money than he knows what to do with. He runs a business that, as I said, people walk by and go, wow, he's the reason I have this, or he's the reason I've done this. So I suppose I, that's like Mark Zuckerberg to me is the kind of end goal. And even at that, he's considering a career in politics now. So like literally just, I need to be Mark Zuckerberg in 20 years time, less. And if let's say you could only have one of those two things as a Mark Zuckerberg, the money or the people looking and going, wow, you made that thing, which one's more important? The wow, you made that thing. N never about money. I'm not a money-driven person. I like money. Obviously, I'm 18. Love money. But uh, yeah, like other than that, I, like if I made something that affected millions of people, that had a proper change in the world, I'd be far happier if I was poor as hell and just had that one thing. I wouldn't, you know, I'd change that any day for a gazillion or a billion or how many zeros you can add on the end of it. I think the best situation there would be kind of like a Bill Gates situation where he has so much money and has all of the cool stuff as well. I've seen you describe yourself as the nerdiest teenager that you'll ever meet. What do you mean by that? How does that manifest itself? Because that means different things for different people. Prime example this morning. A lot of my friends, it's midterm. A lot of my friends are in bed, uh, asleep, Snapchatting maybe. Uh, they're not going to probably leave the house today. I was in the Taoiseach's office at a data protection meeting talking about Article 8 of the GDPR for anybody who has any idea what that is. That was my morning and that's not a strange morning. That's the funny thing about that. Like that's not a peculiar morning for me. I've been in situations where I've been sitting down with CEOs, MDs and board boardrooms with people who you see on television. Like I've been in some seriously weird cases and I completely enjoy it. There's nothing more I enjoy than sitting down, even if I'm confused and I don't know what anybody's talking about. But I think I just it's it's nerdy, but it's it's something I find incredibly interesting and I enjoy. But it's it's nerdy. It is definitely nerdy. You're doing the leaving cert this year. Most people would be in a situation where they would not be increasing the pressure on themselves by doing seventy thousand other things all at the same time. Yep. Yet you seem to be doing that. Do you see that as being a conflict or do you think that occupying yourself with all this other stuff kind of helps take your mind off it? I suppose I find it tough to say no in some instance, because as I said, I love it. It's my favorite thing to do is going out to a meeting and meeting somebody new and getting a new opportunity or speaking or traveling or whatever it might be. So I suppose it's almost like people love going home and playing a game, whereas my opportunities tend to come at the wrong time when I don't need them. So like a trip away for a weekend, the week before my mocks or a trip to Twitter for a day mm -hmm. <laughs> the week before my mocks or 
junior cert, I, the day before my junior cert, I was in Dublin Castle speaking at a conference. Like there's silly things, but I suppose it's it's hard to concentrate on school, but it's, yeah, it's it's, it's only because it falls at the wrong time. But I, I don't seem to, when I say struggle, I'm not going to get 620 points. You're not going to see me on the front page of the Irish Times in June. So, so can I ask you then, what do your parents make of it? How do your parents react to this? Because I would have thought, certainly if it was my parents when I was doing my leaving, I would have been told, no, no, no. The whole thing about you've got to knuckle down, blah, 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 blah. That would have been, I think, my parents' attitude. How do your parents react to this? The same. Like my, my parents, like my parents don't just let me do what I want. There's no way my house is not run like, yeah, just go do what you want. Happy as Larry. Do they need to see a value in the distraction that you're being, you're saying, I need to go and do this and they need to see a value in that? I think they see more an excitement and an interest. Like I, like when I get an opportunity, they'll know if I say it enough and if I mention it enough and I try to sell it enough. Like they see it as a benefit for my future. They know that the meeting the right people might open the right doors, which they have. And, you know, I benefited myself a lot for the next few years and the people I've met and things I've done. But um, no, like they do definitely see the value in, in me doing the leave insert. There's always been a push. My parents are very strict on that. They're obviously very proud of what I've done. Uh, not that they let me get a big head about anything. You don't get a big head in my house. But um, yeah, I suppose they're very, they are definitely pushing on making sure I get the leaving cert and I put as much into it as possible so I don't regret not putting in. But on the other hand, they know that sometimes they get a really good opportunity that's hard to turn down. But uh, they definitely don't have a problem with saying no, not at all. They're definitely one word that's very much become a regular in my mom's vocabulary over the last few months and year. And the next question off the back of that then is, so what happens next? You, you, you do your leaving What's next? You you know where you want to go? Fingers crossed. I've I've done this a lot now. Like I've I've had interview after interview after interview over the last few months, and I've said what my first option of my CAO is. Oh, that's and dangerous. I, yeah, I feel like now come September when I'm sitting somewhere else that the whole world's gonna go, what a waste! He didn't do it. <laughs> he failed. Like usually, I don't even tell my grandmother. Um, yes, I want to study government in UCC if all goes according to plan. That is my first option. So now the whole world 100% knows that if I don't get that, I didn't get the points I wanted. But uh, yeah, that's I, I don't really have a second choice that I really like. It's the only one that excites me, if that makes sense. Um, Harry McCann, uh, Future Taoiseach, thank you very much for <laughs> talking to me today. Thank you very much. This episode was produced by Amanda Fenley. The series producer is Alice O'Sullivan. I'm Rick O'Shea. Thanks for downloading Originators. You'll find details about this and all the rest of the episodes in the series on the RTE2FM website at 2fm.ie slash The Collective. The Collective. 2FM.